Nino. Your microphone. Your mi there you go. Woo, she's learning. <laughs> Talk so I can hear you. Say something so I can hear you, Nina. Testing, microphone checker. One, two, checker. Um, welcome everybody to episode two of Access Grand Leadership Boy, Mr. Antoine, and I am in the building again with my sister, my radio C, Nina. The What's going on, honey bunny? So I can't say that. A whole lot of Say that again. A whole lot of everything. A whole lot of everything. So I can't say that we're going too far. You know, I say that every week. Yeah, right. I can't say that we're going too far off of the grid tonight because this is our second show, so we don't even know exactly what the grid is going to be. What the show's about, right? Be about. We just and this I, is I, about the show. Yeah, this is about the show. Perfect. Um, during these days and times, man, we've been going through this pandemic, and um, Nina came to me, what was it, yesterday, and said, uh, we need to do a panel discussion day before yesterday, give or take <laughs> But um, and I and and it's funny because the longer or the more that I've thought about it, um, the more I realize how important it is to do a show like this because I don't see it being talked about a lot, um, as far as the kind of media that we do, you know what I mean? Um, exactly. And being as though we're in a situation where stuff is being shut down again. Um, record-breaking numbers of deaths and admittances into the hospital and all of that stuff. This is like the perfect opportunity to to have this conversation. So I said, "Why not?" And um, and then when you came to me and told me that uh, Terry wanted to do this, I was like, "Man, if we'd have had somebody else scheduled, then we'd had to kick him off because Terry is my boy, and we gotta we gotta, you know, what I'm saying, show him some love, man." So. Yeah, we're going to have a, a real serious conversation tonight, man. And I'm I'm very honored to have um, the panelists that we have tonight. This is going to be a very interesting conversation from, from three different perspectives. Um, and I'm just really looking forward to what we have. So I am going to bring them all in now. Bingo. Hello, Hi, everybody. Hi. Hey. So, what's up? Um, hey, Terry, what's going on, bro? So, what I'm going to have everybody do, man, um, is I'm going to have you all introduce yourselves, um, tell a little bit about what it is that you do, and then um, I'm going to let Nina just kind of, you know, go ahead and, and do her thing, and we'll take it from there. So, uh, ladies first, Crystal, in alphabetical order, we'll start with you. So, hey, everybody, how you doing? Hi, um, Crystal. Hi, I'm Crystal. So I'm a social worker at a local hospital. Um, I'm a case manager slash discharge planner. Um, my assignment is on a critical care unit. So all of my patients are COVID patients. Um, I treat the critically ill, the ones that are vented, trait, and the ones that are able to discharge home. Um, my job as the case manager and discharge planner is to uh, move the cases along. Um, what everybody don't know is a lot of times the hospital has a goal to try to keep the patients there in a certain amount of time. Um, once we stabilize the patients, our job as a case manager is to try to find an alternative placement for those COVID patients, whether it's an LTAC 
with a home or a quarantine hotel. Um, we have to set up equipment for them. So I do a lot. I work closely with the doctors, the nurses, the rehab team to try to uh, get these patients back to the community and out of the hospital. So it's uh, it's overwhelming. Um, been rocking out since March. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot. So every day I drive home, I'm like, oh gosh, I dodged COVID. <laughs> so, you know, knock on wood, I haven't um, tested positive. So I must be doing something right working in the hospital. I work in the, the unit every day. So yeah. You have quite a commute. So you have a lot that you have a, a lot of time to think about that when you're when you're driving home. Mm -hmm. um, Tracy. Hello everyone. Hi, <laughs> My Tracy. name is Tracy. How are you? And thank you so much for having me. I'm actually a nurse of 20 years. Um, I currently have taken a reassignment. Normally I do home care. So I have currently been working at not a local facility, but I've been working down in DC. Um, in DC, I work on a unit with patients that are COVID positive. However, it's outpatient. I am currently administering a research drug and um, actually my patients receive the antibodies. My patients have mild to moderate symptoms, so they're at home. Um, so they come in and they get their infusion of antibodies and then they go home. Um, and then we just kind of watch them and hopefully hoping and praying that they don't get any sicker. Um, and I, I kind of want to just leave it at that. And then we can kind of, if you got questions and that we'll get more into it, especially what I do. <laughs> Gotcha. <laughs> and then my brother Terry, introduce yourself, man. Good evening, um, ladies and gentlemen, Antoine. Um, Terry T slash DJ slash promoter. Um been in the field for a very long time and a very large following. Um I was actually um a person who suffered from the um from the from the coronavirus. So I'm here to, you know, share my point of view about it, as well as uh, try to convince people that the pain is real, and try to get them tips on how to uh, at least uh, stay healthy and refrain from catching. Absolutely. Um, Nina, yes, go. I'll, I'll follow you. Hi, I'm Nina, the Nina. original party girl. I am currently going through a personal COVID crisis with one of my family members. Um, some of my friends, I have like five of my best friends at St. Agnes Hospital currently right now while we are speaking today and um, several friends that have contracted the condition, um, friends that have passed away from the condition. And um, I felt that this was a great panel to get all the different ways of everything's affected. Now, through my personal crisis, um, social worker, excellent. You know, we haven't gotten to that stage yet. Uh, nurse, excellent. We haven't really had communication with the nurse. So I like I like how this is. My, I have another guest that's supposed to pop in. At so we have Terry that had COVID. We have the social worker. We have the nurse. And we have someone that's a caretaker for someone with 
COVID. So that should kind of give us a big circle to have this conversation. So I wanted to thank each and every one of you for being able to be available so quickly and to share your story. I feel like we are not hearing a complete conversation. And when you're scrolling on Facebook, you see somebody that, that passed away or somebody that lost someone that was special to them, but we're not talking about the complete process as well as preventative methods um, that will help everybody. I feel like everybody can get something from this show. So again, I thank you all for being here. Antoine? So, so Terry, I wanna start with you because the, the, one, the one thing that I've kind of gotten from our people over these past few months is it's almost like a situation where they don't believe this is real until it touches a little bit close to home. You know what I mean? Um, we have this tendency to believe that everything is like a conspiracy. You know, the government is out to get us every single day. You know, it's not real. It's the statistics are being padded, so on and so forth. Um, so I just want I just want you to start, Terry, by talking a little bit about your experience. Um, did you, how you felt in the beginning? What, you know, did you go get tested before you were feeling bad? Did you start feeling bad and go get tested? Talk a little bit about your experience going through the virus. All right, so again, my name is Terry. Um, in the early stages um, with, the, um, with my experience with the COVID, is I started having headaches and you know it's, we, we have we, we, we have uh internal uh security system in our bodies that let us know when something is not right. And when I started having these headaches, I was um telling my wife that I wasn't feeling well and then I started getting like scratchy throat a little bit. And um at that time, a close friend of mine told me he had COVID and had just, you know, left his presence maybe like a few days um, prior to. So when I went and got tested, I got my test back like in maybe less than 24 hours and I was positive for the COVID. Um, Terry, yeah. Um. Yeah. Without a divulging their identity, do you know how or where you contracted COVID from? Yes. You do? Okay. Go ahead. So, um, once I, you know, again, with, um, came with positive with the COVID, I started, um, like, alerting the people that I've been around. And I work for an inpatient drug treatment facility. So, of course, I have to let them know. Um, I had a party scheduled at the time, which was Sean Marshall's birthday party. Um, I had to counsel that. And it's like it's, you know, people just couldn't believe it was real. And the, 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 the saddest part is that when people um, contract this disease, they think it's a secret. They shouldn't tell nobody. You know, mm -hmm. um, it has a stigma, yeah. When it can happen to anybody, um, well, like I said, I, I started like getting the chills, hot and cold sweats. I even fell out, you know, I passed out. Um, 
my insurance, I had pretty good insurance. So I had like doctors call me like every day, every day, ask me how I feel, um, ask me what my temperature, my pulse. Um, and it's like they were trying to guess or figure out this thing like I was trying to do. It's like I was just, you know, like man experimenting on verbally. That they were like trying to figure out what's going on and what, you know, did I have any new symptoms? One of the symptoms they kept on asking me about was, um, was it hard for me to wake up? And I kept asking them, why, why would they ask you that? And they said, that's, one of the, that's a new symptom that it's hard for people to wake up once you fall asleep. Um, so, you know, as, as a DJ slash promoter, of course, I could have been selfish, didn't say anything, and went on with the party, just didn't show up, but... You know, when it, when it become personal, like Antoine was saying, when it hit home, you know, and you feel that pain, you want to at least, well, I know I did, I at least, I at least want to save other people from going through that pain and possibly dying because I didn't have it as severe as I heard, you know, a lot of people had it at the time. So I was blessed and I had a few friends, but I started speaking up about it. So I had friends tell me what kind of vitamins to get telling me to buy uh, certain kinds of tea, inhale heat, you know, telling me that the heat can, like, kill the virus, you know, and, and trying to prevent it from getting to the lungs. So I was doing all different kinds of things. Then the doctors was telling me to go outside. It's important that I get in the sun, you know, if I, if I can walk a little bit in the sun for, like, 20 minutes, um, like, take 20-minute walks and things of that nature. So, so let me ask you Okay, this. so what month? Sorry, what month did you contact COVID? <laughs> July. Okay. July. And from start to finish, how long was your episode? And that's a good question, Nina. Um, I say like at the day eight, I started feeling good. I started back mixing, but the virus was still there. I tested positive up to like three weeks. But um the the, the interesting thing is that when the, when the two-week mark hit and I was still testing positive, the doctors were telling me that I'm released to go back to work because they said I was no longer contagious, even though I had the virus in me. They said I was no longer contagious. And I couldn't understand. You know? Okay, so in your process, was there a time when you literally thought you were going to die? Yes, when I, when I, when I woke up on the floor. You know, I, I was actually trying to, I was actually trying to like make it back to the bed because in a home that me and my wife live in, we have like a studio, uh, cave on one end, studio on the other end, and so I was separated from her, and even she caught it, but she didn't go through the, um, through the pain and withdrawals like I went through. You know, she ended up having what they call um antibodies and. You know, after the fact, so she really didn't know if she had it or not. But anyway, um, to answer your question, um, at that point when I fell out, you know, that's when it got kind of scary for me. And the doctors, they were trying to like um, encourage me to go to the hospital, but I didn't want to go to the hospital. I thought maybe if I go to the hospital, it might get worse. You know, sometimes that's how I would think because I knew everybody that was going to the hospital, they wasn't coming home. You know, and I thank God that I have an awesome wife because she had everything prepared for me. She making meals, stepping for me at the base of the door where I thought the stuff and grab the meals. You know, um, all the vitamins 
and things of that nature. So did you like, okay, so when you actually were going through your symptoms and feeling bad, like how did you eat? Like was your wife passing plates through the door or how were you taking care of? Were you able to do it yourself? What was a part of, of how you were actually taken care of? Who she did was, that, if anybody? Well, my wife was making big pots of soup at a time where she didn't have to keep like all day long coming back to me. She 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 fixed me enough food for like two days at a time. Big pots of tea. I can just warm the tea up and take it. So I was um like when I when I the strange part, I I was strong. I had strength in the daytime, but at night, it's like that's when it really come on. At night for some reason. When it gets dark, oh my goodness. So during the daytime, I would you know, eat and drink a lot of water and move around because I know when the night comes, it gets worse. So um, that's exactly what I've done. Okay, so good stuff. Thank you for sharing. If I can ask, do you have any pre-existing um, situations? Do you have asthma or any issues other than the, that the COVID latched onto or was straight COVID, if you feel like answering that? No, just a little crazy. It might enhance my craziness, you know. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, I get that. Do you feel like music was a part of what... Did you feel like you had to fight to stay alive? And if you did, what held you focused? That I got to get better. I got to do what I got to do. Well, you hit it with the music, you know, because that day eight, when I had enough strength to stand up, I started playing the music. You know, and listen to music. As a matter of fact, I had my laptop um, on the other side of the basement with me where I was, uh, where I had a bed at, resting. So at night, I used to listen to like different um, sounds and things of that nature, you know. And um, the, the, the interesting thing is that I still have what they call a long-term effect where my energy is like low, you know. and Still not back to 100. No, and that's been since July. Are you still taking the teas, the herbals, the vitamins? Are you still doing that? Absolutely. And, and that was one thing the doctors told me. They were telling me, you know, that um, for me to continue to take them and to give them to, like, my family and tell them to take them, too. Even if they didn't have it, just take it. You know, so. Just take it. Um, um, the, the vitamin C, vitamin D, um... These purple gummies I take, um, elderberries, elderberries, okay. and I take a, another pill called black seed oil. So mm. I, I've been doing that ever since I caught it. You know, have you have you taken CMOS at all? CMOS, yeah, yeah. I I have a jar of it. I tasted it, but I didn't continue on with it. Yeah, I don't blame you. I understand that totally. Did you, did you lose any weight? Yeah, when I was sick. Okay. Yeah. okay. Okay, so at what point, this is all good stuff, and I'm so glad you're here to tell a story. You have an entertainment piece that you mentioned in your intro. You are a DJ and a promoter, and at any time, you can be in a party with hundreds of people. You were responsible enough to remove yourself from that situation. I am sure you. there were people that chose to not admit that they had anything or they knew they had it and they continued to be in the party. 
How have you seen the industry change because of COVID? Well, and I don't say this to be mean, and I don't like to sound like I'm better than, but it's it's it's. I seen I seen the cruelty part of it because I I see certain DJs or promoters who have followings that that um that love for people to you know people love to come see them play and even at this time when they're telling you they shutting the city down they shutting places down and you would think that the, that the DJ slash promoters would want to uh, protect their supporters but it's not like that and and they tell them and they encourage them to come on out. You know, and I see on Facebook and Instagram all the time where people are asking for people to pray for their families and things like that. So um, I just I just thank God that um, that I grew through the pain and I have enough common sense for myself and for others to encourage them not to come out and to speak against it. Because people be asking me all the time, like, well, aren't you losing money by not having parties? I say, no, I'm saving lives, you know. I'm, I'm, it, it, when you when you chase money, when you chase money, you you liable to do anything, you know. So it's it. I I seen the cruelty part of it, you know. As a matter of fact, I haven't even seen many DJs speaking up about it at all. I have seen uh, DJ techniques. I always used to see them post things, you know, telling people to go don't go out. Wear know. a mask. Yeah, he's the wear a mask guy. Right. Yeah. So that that could have been terrible. Like if they didn't shut down the clubs, that could have been made a major impact on how many people could have been um, affected. And I'm glad that the club scene on the whole is is they're not trying to force a party. I saw like maybe two parties that came out, and I'm like, well, I'm not sure about that. But they actually ended up getting canceled. So that that worked out by itself. So mm -hmm. I thank you for your contribution to this conversation. What has having COVID done to your life going forward? Well, it lets me know that um that I'm not exempt from from anything that I see that's happening in the world, and that um and that I need to you know make better decisions and protect myself. You know, well. In some situations like the COVID, oh my goodness, my wife used to have me wearing masks, gloves, got the lifestyle wipes everywhere we go, but I still contracted it. So it just lets me know that I'm not exempt from it, you know. And if I and if I can save my life and somebody else's, you know, that's what I'm willing to do. Gotcha. Twan, you have anything for Terry? No, uh, I wanna um I wanna get Tracy's perspective. Um being in the front lines, um, gotcha. talk a little bit about what you see on a day to day, and and talk a little bit about how it's changed from like February, March, April when this first started to now. Well, it it changed for me because back in March, I guess it really had to do with more of what my role was. So back in March, I took on a role where. I was just doing testing. So I was just testing patient after patient every single day. Um, and at that time, we had the ability to mass test patients at that time. So you're right, we were testing everyone. Um, but now my role has now changed. From 
because now we have even broader testing. So now I'm down in DC. I work with COVID patients and they're at home and they have mild to no symptoms. However, in order for them to be in this research and to be in this study, their symptoms, their onset of symptoms have to be less than 10 days. So not, not 10 days from being tested positive, but from the onset of first symptom. And at that point, they can probably get, not everyone will be able to get, get it, but this group of patients then can get an infusion of antibodies. I tell my patients the goal of this antibody for me as a nurse, that you don't get any sicker, that your disease do not progress to the point that you are now have to be hospitalized and be intubated. So Tracy, my, quick question. Uh -huh. Yes. Quick question. So yes. from the onset, they have to have 10 days from when they were diagnosed. Did they ever have full-blown COVID and it's better now? Or they only had it to a certain level where they, they weren't as symptomatic? Okay, so my patients, they are symptomatic, but they're mild symptoms. And their symptoms have only been for about less than 10 days. Because anything over 10 days, then you're, you wouldn't be able to get the antibodies. That's not an option. Okay, for can you. you define antibodies for me, please? What's an antibody? Well, that, hmm. so the drug that I'm giving is a synthetic form of COVID. My, the antibodies aren't coming from an actual person who had COVID, who might have given plasma. Some people have gotten antibodies to getting plasma from somebody who had COVID. In this situation, this is a synthetic form of the antibodies. And the goal is that and you already- And are you already... in a test research? Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, Tracy. Yes, this is a testing is. situation? This is research. This is research. Okay. Yes. And yes. these- these people that you're working with, they have signed up to be a part of the research. Yes, yes they volunteer. What's the benefits for them? If they the don't really have COVID a whole bunch, what's the benefit of doing that for that group of people? You know, the benefit, it's a lot of benefits. Because okay. the one thing, one thing, once you get COVID, and Tari kind of alluded to this, once he got COVID, remember he mentioned that doctors were calling him every day to find out what's happening. Because the reason why that is, is because as a healthcare professional, doctor or nurse, what I can't tell you is that once you get COVID, I don't know who's going to be the sickest. I don't know if you get COVID and you have mild symptoms for 10 days and then or 14 days and you're done. However, you, we see that somebody else can get COVID and they're now in the ICU and they're intubated. That's the one thing no one can, as a healthcare professional, can determine who those people are. So that's one of the benefits is that you now tested positive for COVID and there's a fear there because now you have to ask yourself, what now? I have COVID. My symptoms are mild. Yeah, I'm kind of laying around. I'm tired. But then at what point does that take a turn for the worse? Nobody can say when that time is, which well, is why I have a Terry. Question. 
Uh-huh. Um, so people that have mild COVID, true or false, do they normally not have a pre-existing condition? Is that what makes COVID worse? Because it's tagging mm -hmm. on what you already have. Yes. Yes and no. Okay. Because you're right. You can't get a person who don't have, we look at, we look at children. We look at young adults who've tested positive, who may not have any pre-existing conditions. But we also know that a person who's a diabetic, that is one of the number one reasons of people being really sick. Those people are diabetics. Or, and or, or, or also have right, or also have underlying other condition, heart disease. High we blood have, pressure. High blood pressure. However, All the stuff we have. Right. But however, can I tell the person who's diabetic, you know what? Your COVID is going to be the worst. We don't know until we monitor you and watch you, which is why Terry doctors were calling every day to say, let's see, is you, are you getting worse? At what point do I need to, as a doctor, have to bring you into the hospital? Are you right? I'm checking your pulse ox. Is your, is your, are you getting good oxygen? And that's not something you can so tell is, in a home. That, Go ahead. So is the goal, and of course, mm -hmm. I don't know what you're able to sure. discuss. Sure. So if it's something like that, you can say pass, yeah. girl. Uh -huh. um, is the goal for the person to go to the hospital or not? I feel like the goal is not to go to the hospital. Is it? So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that because... What we don't want to do, and I'm pretty sure this has, I don't, this I don't have scientific proof of. I okay. can only, I can only speak of my experience as a nurse and what I think most people think. And this okay. is, so once you get, if you're positive for COVID and your symptoms are mild, I, I honestly believe that some people might stay home too long. That when they, by the time they do reach the hospital, they are so sick that all you can do is straight intubate them. That's a problem. What does intubate do for them? When you intubate them, what is that pr process? What is that doing? That process is a machine that's breathing for you because your okay. lungs are just that bad. Because you got to remember, this is not the same thing. This is a, a respiratory disease. Yes. Let's think of it all hand in hand. Thing? Same thing. Okay. Yes. Okay. Intubation is the technique. Gotcha. Ventilation is the machine you're put on. And that's what gotcha. you, that's, that's gotcha. the point. That's the part. Because I'm pretty sure there were some pe people who did not get tested for COVID, but they were at home and they, they got something that seemed just like a simple cold. They got a cough. They had a low grade fever. So what did they do? They asked their wife their family members, go get me some NyQuil. Go get me this to try to beat those symptoms. Then they got progressively worse. They stayed home. Probably when they come to the hospital, you're right. It, they might've had this for over two weeks. They've been fighting this for 10 days. However, a, maybe are we always gonna try early prevention? Once you get sick, what, what about early preventive measure there? That's where the antibodies come in. 
the antibody. Casey, you live in DC? No, I live here in Maryland. Because this drug, right, because the drug that I'm giving is not even accessible here in Maryland yet. It's only in DC. How do you have the drug? Say that again. How do you have it? So every hospital, just like the vaccine that's coming out, only certain hospitals are equipped to be able to keep it cold. So that's why every hospital can't get it. Same thing with the vaccine. Not every hospital is equipped to be able to be in a study because they may not have the space. They may not have the pharmacy space to mix the drug. It's a lot that goes into it. But you you asked the question about should a person do this or not do this? And I'm going to be an advocate and say they absolutely should do this because not only are you helping... I tell my patients, you, you're my hero right now. My patients are my hero because if this works, because we're all on a hope and a prayer that this works because then again, the, the, the virus is overloading our ICUs. We don't have enough room for really sick people. So if I can get antibodies to you and prevent you from going to the hospital and and not getting any worse, that it it will maintain as it is. But if you don't take it, right. But if you don't take it, then I don't know how your outcome is going to be in the next 14 days. I don't know. You might get sicker. But it's global. Uh, Are you able to give... I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yes. Because what they're doing is very Are you globally. Able to... Go ahead. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, go <laughs> I'm ahead. Trying go ahead. To balance. Yeah, Are yeah. you able to give a medical suggestion? Like what I from my experiences and my friends, some people didn't make it to the ambulance as far as the like the, the EMTs checked them out at the house. But their goal wasn't to take them to the hospital. You know, something really strong must have happened in my experiences for them to go. So I got friends that never went to the hospital via an ambulance. And then they ended up having to go later because the ambulance says you're stabilized here. Like try to do everything you can at home. Do you have a medical suggestion of when you feel this? you should be adamant about going to the hospital. These type of symptoms or these types of situations means you need to be in the hospital. I think for me is the one thing when you become to the point of unable to do your normal activities. So if you have COVID, like Terry said, during the daytime, he was able to go out and do a 20 minute walk. When you no longer can walk from your bedroom to your bathroom, you can't walk 10 feet without getting short with shortness of breath. It's time to go. It's time to leave your home when just small everyday activities you can do. And then the next day you now no longer can do, then you probably should go to the hospital. And the reason why with the amp, with the amp, when the EMTs come out, they're checking a patient's pulse out. So they're checking a patient's oxygen level. So if a patient O2 sets are setting at a normal level, 
they're like, okay, you're fine. You, you don't need to go to the hospital right now. But when those O2 sets start to drop, that's when we're like, okay, you have got to go because now you're not oxygenating. You're not getting enough oxygen to your brain. You're going to get confused. So we should have did this at first. Mm -hmm. But can you define what COVID is? Uh, COVID is a it's a virus, as any other virus that attacked our bodies, and that virus has and it's respiratory and it does attack your lungs. And then you that's why we're worried about that we're now in this flu and cold season because now we have a flu season that is also a virus that attacks your respiratory. We have people who get pneumonia. So you can only imagine to get COVID on top of getting the flu, your lungs are just really up against a fight to have both. So it affects or even have your pneumonia. lungs, it affects your breathing. Yes. So when you don't get enough air to your oxygen, to your brain, what potentially can happen? Oh, you get totally confused. You become very confused. So you're right. The one thing you're looking at your family members is a change of mental status. You're looking even no matter how old they are. If they're not answering, they seem inappropriate. They're not answering the, the appropriate answer to, to a question. Then you should consider that hey, something is wrong. You have to go to the hospital. Yes, that's shortness okay. of breath. All yes. great stuff. Yes, that's so, shortness so of breath. So you can continue talking about your, that's a trial that you're in? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And I tell my patients, and I tell my patients that this is something that is, what they're doing is going to affect the world. This is globally. This not just happening here in the United States, it's happening everywhere. So when you take the antibodies and if you're getting better, guess what? That's giving all of us hope that if we do, if we contract, now we realize that this would be your path. If you get sick, you have a cold, get tested for COVID. Find out if you really have it. If your symptom is less than 10 days, then you can probably get the antibodies. Then that will stop you from getting sick or needing to go to the hospital. We are, That's the hope that this works in that fashion. Because remember, even with a vaccine, it's only 95% effective. That still leaves a 5% of a population of people that still will not that vaccine is not going to work on. So if they become positive, then what happens? Because remember, we do not have a cure for COVID. There's no cure. So the vaccine prevents you from getting it 95%, right. but it's right. not the cure. Are we it's looking not. for a cure? Or we, we focused on the vaccine first? We focus on the vaccine first because that's all so, about prevention. Just like if we don't want you to get the chicken pops or the measles, we give you a vaccine for it to stop it before you even get it. So did COVID eat the flu? I know no one with the flu. Do you know someone with the flu? I do not. I wouldn't say COVID eat the flu. <laughs> I made that up. I wouldn't like, say, what you know what I'm saying? Nor would I say COVID supersedes the flu, mm -hmm. but the two hand in hand is what you don't want. That's what I can tell you. You don't want the flu and COVID. And that's possible. That and it is, is possible. possible. It is okay. possible. Oh, wow. As gotcha. well as to have pneumonia and COVID. Yeah. 
You can have pneumonia and also be COVID positive. Now that one I heard of because yeah, that's, that's a part a of thing. that. It's the same right. breathing. Okay, right. so like if I put up a post and I said, are you guys taking the vaccine when it's released? Half mm -hmm. of them people are going to use curse words. No. Right. Oh, yeah. The other half sure. is maybe the first, the second, or the third round mm -hmm. of the, how do you, I know what you're doing is very important as mm -hmm. the answer of that question, but how do you convince, like by nature, we don't want a vaccine. I mean, there's right. a lot of people that don't want a vaccine. How right. do you talk to them? How do you convince them? Um, how can I you change my mind? Like, I don't want that. Um, that, is, that is not for me to change your mind. Listen, life is okay. always choice. Life is choice driven. Even with this study, it's choice driven. You don't have to have it. However, I would. It's best that you do, but you don't have to. I'm not going to convince you. I can only give you the facts. However, but my facts do not cannot tell you that if you take this vaccine, it won't make you sick. I can't say that. I can't Are you taking it? Even. Oh yeah, can I'm I definitely ask that? taking. Yes. Oh yeah, I'm taking it. So absolutely. How long have you been in your your research, your trial? How long have you been taking? Um, we started about three weeks ago. It's that new. And how are you feeling, or do you feel anything different, or can you share that with us? Oh yeah, I don't feel anything differently. No, I don't have any symptoms. You're right. So when my patients come in, I'm in full PPE equipment. So yes, I'm. I have a N95 on. I have goggles. I wear a shield sometimes. You're right. I have a gown on. I have gloves on. I'm fully equipped. Um, and how often do you have to have? It's a shot or something you're taking by mouth. How often do you have to do that? Well, as far as a vaccine, yeah, mean, the testing stage. Um. I don't understand your question because now for the vaccine itself, now I don't have that yet. I'm still waiting. Okay. Yeah, I'm okay. still waiting for my vaccine. So you're having the antibodies or what? what is the testing phase or the research phase? What are you doing? So Medical. we're actually, we're in the phase where, so my patients come in for an hour infusion. It takes about an hour. And then after that, I monitor you for about an hour. And then after that, it can go home. Um, unfortunately, my stage is that I administer the drug. However, I don't have the follow-up with patients. So uh, I really don't know how they feel. And I explain that to some of my patients. So they have called me back. So I've had a patient who, after they got the infusion, called me about two days later and he's like, you know what? I feel totally fine. I feel much better. I feel, I definitely feel better having gotten the antibodies. However. So is it an infusion? Is that like dialysis? IV. What's infusion? Yup, they okay. get an IV well, put in like their put arm. Blood in. Okay. No blood, y'all. I just put an IV in, give the medicine, and that's it. For about an hour. Oh, that's yeah. very helpful. Yeah. Very helpful. So, but is I had a couple. Uh, I've had a, but I've had a patient who said, asked, called me about after a week of getting the antibodies, and they didn't feel any better, but they also didn't feel any worse. They still were pretty much the same. Nothing really changed for them. Is there? Hey, a Tracy, how you have, oh, go ahead, Crystal. Go ahead. 
I'm sorry, Tracy, how are you guys recruit, recruiting for your patients? Like, are you all reaching out to the local hospitals? Are you all, um, like, how are you getting your patients to do the um, um, antibodies? So our uh, patient, there is a scoring criteria for patients. Um, when we initially started this study, we were only looking at patients with mild to to mild to no symptoms, but also they were over the age of 65 with a lot of those preconditioned symptoms of diseases, those preconditioned diseases, such as, you know, heart disease, uh, diabetes. So, however, um, since then, this they have broadened the perspective of patients. So we now do a less than 65. However, um, symptoms cannot be um, over 10 days, after 10 days, they wouldn't qualify. Um, but they, if their symptoms are less than 10 days, they will qualify. They still qualify. Um, because this is at one particular hospital, you're right. They just recruit just within that, that practice. So if someone come through that ER, that primary care doctor, that urgent care center, and they come up positive, they, they're then offered they're like, you know what, when, were, when was your first symptoms? So if someone was tested positive on the fourth, but they're like, my symptoms started on the second though, we're gonna count 10 days. It's like, well, we got you in this 10 day window. Do you wanna get to antibodies? What phase of the research are they in? Like, um, what so, are they finding so, so far, far As far as any adverse reactions to it. So far, no one's had any type of reaction to it with me, um, but there are reactions to every drug. So there's always the one that where you can have an anaphylactic shock reaction, where you know your throat swells, your tongue swells. However, that hasn't really been seen much at all. Um, there are all those mild symptoms because we are giving you a virus. So therefore you may spike a fever. Um, you can have some nausea with it. But so far, none of my patients complained of anything. I usually tell them the same way you came in feeling, you'll probably leave the same way feeling the same way with no real changes. Is there something we should have? Is there something that you wanted to add that neither of us asked the question about? Um, I think the one thing- I have I another want, question, I changed Yeah. The one thing I would want to add is that, especially for our community, how important for us to participate. I think um, Tony kind of touched on it when you mentioned that some people may not want to get vaccinated. Some people may want to, some people may want to do the antibody study, some don't. And some of the reason why you write because of some of these misconceptions out there, especially within the black community, when it goes around research studies, because we all know the stories. We know the story of the Tuskegee Airmen. We know the story of Henrietta Locks. So we are a very fearful, even those of us that live in Baltimore City, let's just be honest, we've had the urban legend of John Hopkins taking people off right. the street and doing research studies with them. But we've come a long way since then. And it's very important that we do participate because if we look at the story of Henrietta Locks, that lady's cells, even to this day, have designed most of the drugs that are out here in this in this world. And that was from a black woman. Whether they did it appropriately or not, it was worldwide beneficial even to this day. 
So that's the one thing I really want us to, as our community, is to realize how important and how impactful our genes are and things that's happening. Because even with this, um, I tell one of my patients, she really didn't want to get the antibodies. She didn't want to do it. And I told her she had every right. I couldn't tell her. All I can do is give her the facts that what you're about to get doesn't make you too sick. This is, these are the symptoms some people have. If you're willing to work that risk, I think it's worth it. If you, are you gonna ask me, would I get the antibodies if I became COVID positive? Yes, I am. Because not so much as that I'm gonna help myself, but I'm gonna help the community at large if it works. I'm gonna help a lot of people. My patients, I tell them they're gonna help a lot of people a lot of people, the world, because now we know if this works, if you get COVID, get tested quickly, I can get you this medicine and you don't get any sicker. And we don't have an ICU that's 90% to capacity because not every nurse is an ICU nurse. Not every doctor is an ICU doctor. That's a special breed of people that do that. So therefore, we're not that we're not great in numbers. Healthcare is not great in numbers. There's not enough nurses and not enough doctors to take care of every human being out here. We're limited. Okay, but so what we don't want to get into is selective care. Hmm. That's what we don't want to get into. Selective care. I think for me as a nurse, that's the most emotional thing because I took an oath that I will do no harm. So I listened to Terry's story and Terry's story is very broad because I've had co-workers and who, who've contracted COVID and you all have no idea the guilt that they have. The guilt that comes with that, the shame that comes with that when you as a healthcare professional get it. Because now you're thinking, did I give it to my patients? Now did I give it to them? Now my family. It is a weight. It is a weight for everybody. I never even thought of that. Yeah. It's so a weight. We had someone else join the party for about mm -hmm. 15 minutes and she's been sitting and patiently waiting. Yes, she has. <laughs> lady, how are you? <laughs> Hi, everybody. Introduce Hi. yourself, please. I am Sharice. I also happen to be Nina, the original party girl's sister. <laughs> and um, I did, my my honey contracted COVID probably from his job. He worked in a factory environment. Mm -hmm. um, and for him, he did not have a super bad time of it. He had um, the first day, he, he wears one of those step counters. And he said, I think he said he had walked 3,000 steps that day at work. He said he could feel each and every step. So his legs were hurting. Um, uh, the next day, his, his arms were sore no, as if he had worked out. Um, and then after that, he had a little, little cough, a little tickle in his throat, but really a relatively easy time. And I was really afraid because he is a double transplant recipient. Mm. So, you know, mm -hmm. I had been on him about being precautious and putting things into place before it became a mandate on his job. And he still managed to, to get the virus. 
And then also, as you know, my dad is, you know, battling the virus. He's probably, if I had to guess, he probably would be in the stage where he no longer has it, but he's dealing with the effects of having been COVID-19. That so I it is actually, a very scary thing to. It's a very very scary thing to watch one loved ones battling it, especially when you know you already have some other things going, and seeing them just not be their normal selves, not just being sick, but you see how much it has stripped from them. You know, it's it's a very scary thing to watch. So I but would I would like say to this. switch. I'll say one more thing go before I go. go I think that I will probably get the vaccine faster than my peers only because I was a part of a study um, in my life before. I was a part of a study for migraines. I used to suffer from migraines, pretty terrible migraines. And now they ha- they didn't used to have migraine medicine and now they do. Mm-hmm. So, and I did not have any adverse um, reactions or, or anything. So, I think that I probably will be one of the ones who will take the vaccine. I don't know if I will rush to it um, right away, simply because it's it's new and I don't feel like we have enough information yet, but I am a person, once I get information, I digest it pretty quickly. (laughs) So I wanted to wrap up what Tracy said as far as like the top three things to notice. Sharice's angle is companion. She had to take care of somebody, literally, without getting close to them. So we're going to go back to that. But as far as Tracy on the front line, when you notice that a person is not in their right mind, that may mean they're not getting enough oxygen, they should Mm -hmm. be in the hospital. Um, When you can't do your regular stuff, when it takes you 20 minutes, which daddy did, to get from the bedroom to the bathroom. That's a problem. And it was a third one. What's another top three? You need some medical attention, Tracy. Mm-hmm. I think one of them is when you do start to see your fever, if you do start to see that fever start to increase, especially above 101.4, I would definitely say you need to seek medical attention, especially when that mm-hmm. fever start to really spike. Yeah, okay. one of the great, great. I wanted to touch on that too. One of the before yeah. I forget. okay, Tracy We're says, all you crystal. Yeah. yeah, Tracy said something really important. Actually, everybody did that I could point yeah. out. Like I said, I work in the hospital, so I see yeah. um, these patients every day. I work with yeah. the families who cannot be with these patients. I'm yeah. kind of like that link, yeah, that person that's connected them mm-hmm. to the doctors and the patient because they can't be there. And I feel bad for those family members. You know, like Cherise said, she. She was able to be there. She watched her loved one. But you have family members who cannot be there. And mm-hmm. it's unfortunate because you have these people battling by themselves. So mm-hmm. as healthcare practitioners like myself, as a social worker and the nurses and the doctors, we're the ones at with these patients. Mm-hmm. So actually, I've mm-hmm. been literally mentally, I don't even know how I'm handling, you know, yeah. sustaining. And I yeah. think prayer because to watch someone literally two, three people die daily, that's a lot. Um, and, and to mm-hmm. pass that news to their families and you literally have people that don't know how to make funeral arrangements so you're like trying to help with that you have people that don't have health insurance you have people that just doesn't don't have the resources to access so people that don't have people mm-hmm. exactly. right 
Right. That's right. a piece. I noticed that. That's yeah. a piece. That loneliness mm-hmm. can get caught up in that COVID and it makes it worse because the person that's sick doesn't have the resources or a person mm-hmm. or it's a they feel extremely lonely. You're isolated. Depression. Which doesn't, yeah. doesn't help with the breathing. A lot mm-hmm. of times you have patients that's already having a hard time breathing. And then they have anxiety, which yeah. causes them to yeah. breathe. Yes. yes. We all doing this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which causes a lot of people to have to be intubated and placed on a ventilator mm-hmm. because they can't breathe. Um, and, you know, they're supposed to be worried about getting better, but then they worried about, I can't pay the hospital bill. I, who's mm-hmm. going to take mm-hmm. I'm going to lose my job. Yeah. I get paid yeah. by the hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. But what Tracy said was important. Do not wait until the last minute to come to the hospital. Because what happens is there, one of the drugs that I noticed that they're treating the COVID with is remdesivir. Ramdesivir is one of the antibiotics that they're using to treat COVID. However, if your symptoms are too far gone, the ramdesivir doesn't help. So if you have a fever, come to the ER, period, because your symptoms might not be a lot, but it's enough where you could get treated and go home. Uh, one of the things I'm noticing since March, in March, nobody really knew what was going on. Doctors were right. trying, trying to figure out how can we treat, what can we do. But as time progressed, you started seeing the remdesivir. You started seeing people getting plasma and blood and things like that. So you started seeing more people go home versus back in March, April, May, a lot of people mm-hmm. weren't. And like you said, they were waiting too late to come to the hospital. That's why you were seeing a lot of deaths because they were waiting so- treated a lot of it starts with that front line with your emts and your ambulance mm-hmm. can you help me with the language that should be used when i'm trying to convince you that i need that to go to the hospital right right help me how do i say that or how does someone advocate because they took my dad to sinai they released him like six hours later um we ended up having to call another ambulance and the ambulance took him to another hospital altogether. But I know when the second time he went in the conversation with the EMT, I'm like, it is important to know that he has pre-existing conditions and these are what they are and they don't go with COVID. So he's got a whole nother issue over here, but now you put COVID on top of it. I feel like because I had that type of conversation, it was more informative for them to make the decision, even on what hospital they took him to, so yeah, that he can get another level of care. You definitely have to let the frontline workers know if you have any type of pre-existing conditions, like if you have heart problems, if you have a C, like COPD, um, if you are a smoker, if you um, you know if you drink. I'm saying a lot of people that drink are having issues with COVID. A lot of people that smoke are having issues with COVID. Diabetes, high blood pressure. Um, I'm, you know, those are the ones that are having really bad issues. Um, and then not just that, you have people that come in with no history at all, but they leave with COVID and then they develop asthma. You get people, it causes asthma. It causes, you know, blood clots in your lungs. I'm even noticing with black men, dialysis, kidney problems. They're developing kidney problems. So, I mean, COVID has this, you know, is 
causing a lot of illnesses after the fact. So we are now in the process where they have been switched from the hospital to a therapy rehabilitation type situation. Mm -hmm. we, we keep telling him, the minute you see a social worker, call us because mm -hmm. we have questions. No one's really discussing the coordination of care and they're not, I don't know if he's not understanding what they're telling him, but he needs someone else in that conversation to actually hear. How do you get the social worker to show up? So because that's he, the one, right? Is he at a, a is he at a nursing a, a rehab center? So yes. you go up there and ask to speak to who who's the social worker on his case. Each patient in a nursing facility has a social worker assigned to them. You need to call up there to see who's involved with his case. If you can't get the social worker, ask for the nurse manager. Who's the nurse manager on the unit? Um, each unit have a nursing manager on the unit. You know, the floor nurse may be too busy. So you call directly and speak to a nursing supervisor, a nurse manager, um, and talk to them because you definitely want to be involved in the plan of care. A plan of yeah. care. Thank you for those mm -hmm. words. I know that, um, like Terry mentioned, your insurance can play a major part on your treatment. Mm -hmm. um, I know that a, a, a facility... With a certain insurance, you might have you might get a hundred days and you don't have to pay a copay. Does that adjust the level of care because they know that you have that amount of time, or they still trying to treat you and get you out of the facility? So what people don't know is with the CARES Act, um, the government created the CARES Act, and that's you know that came with COVID, and that's kind of like um, the CARES Act falls under many different things, but from a hospital standpoint. I get a lot of patients with no insurance at all. But if you are, you have a social security number, you could get equipment and certain services under the CARES Act. A lot of people don't, don't know that, but it takes the case manager or the social worker there at the hospital to offer it. To ID, um, okay. So okay. they do have different resources for particular COVID patients. Can you give me an example of something that was really hard for you during this pandemic in your job role? Um, I know that you see people pass away a lot. I don't know how it gets any harder than that, but anything else? I would say um, I had a, I'm, I could give a story. I had a patient who was from New York. She was a young, she was 35. She came down here to visit somebody and contract. She came to New York. So, you know, that was around the time when New York was dealing with their issues with the COVID. So she literally tried to New York to, to here to Maryland with COVID. She got sick and they, you know, her friend found her passed out at the hotel. Mm. Again, like Tracy said, by the time we got her, she had to be placed on um, a ventilator. You have a young mom who has small kids back in New York. He just came down for the weekend. So she, what was hard was communicating to her 20-year-old son because he was the person over her case. So you have this kid that's 20 years old having to make life and death decisions for his mom. Mm -hmm. That was hard for me because I have a son around that age. And when I saw her, I was like, oh, God, this could be me. So it was one of those things where I had to like kind of step out of my own 
thinking and had to think like a healthcare professional. His whole thing was, I need my mom back in New York. So I'm like, oh God, how can I get this COVID patient that's on a ventilator to New York? Like she's too sick. So trying to explain to him what's going on with his mom, he's young, he don't understand. She's getting sicker and sicker and sicker. He, and he's taking care of his like nine-year-old brother and his like 16-year-old brother. And they're there in New York by themselves and their mom is on a ventilator here, you know? So it was just hard for me to maneuver that. And the sad part about it is I'm encouraging him to come to visit his mom because she was so sick. Even though COVID patients cannot have visitors, they allowed him because she was dying. So mm. everybody was having a hard time, even the physicians telling this young boy his mom was dying. Mm. That was all for everybody. So he ended up making it just in time. And she passed as soon as he got there. It's like she was kind of like holding on to Waiting for him. Mm -hmm. She was waiting. That was hard. That's hard. So I think that you had the other piece of the conversation as far as, like, we live, like, our lives. Like, we live our lives. And because of the pandemic, it should change the way you live because you never know. So you have people with no insurance. What else can you do? And this is not even if you're sick, but like I noticed with one of our cases, one of our personal friends, they had nothing set up. Even the way you, the way you get into the house was complicated. Nobody had an extra key. We got to kick doors down. Like what are examples of things that people should have in place now, just in case? Um, I definitely say, if you're not seeing a doctor on the regular, go see a doctor. Um, I would definitely say if you don't have advanced directives, get your advanced directives done. Now, advanced directive in the living room is done when you're able to make decisions. So if you have an 80-year-old grandmother who's losing her memory and she's confused, you might want to apply for guardianship of grandma because she can't make that decision to appoint somebody to do something for her. But if you have a loved one that's elderly, and they're able to make decisions, encourage them to do an advanced directive of living will. Now, some older people are very stuck in their ways where they don't want to do those things, mm -hmm. but try to have that conversation with them and tell them how important it is now with COVID that's going on. So if you don't have a living will, is it a way that you can piece it? Like, can I be your uh, POA for the nursing home? Or just the hospital? Or well, just they the, have, the state of Maryland have the surrogacy law, but it goes in order. So, like, if, you know, you have a loved one, but they marry, then, of course, that spouse is the surrogate. But if you have multiple children, so say, for instance, if, you have, if your mom doesn't have a power of attorney, but it's five of you guys, you all have equal rights, and you all have to agree. It could get confusing. But that's why we encourage people to have an advanced directive to appoint somebody to make decisions for them and talk about what they want, what their wishes are when they're unable to make decisions. That eliminates, you had all, of that, that eliminates all of the extra. All the drama. You just simply put it in writing. All of the unnecessary treatment. That, because y'all know how, and I'm going to just put it out there, y'all know how us Black families can get yeah, time to make those decisions. It's so important to just have that stuff in writing so that there's no outside influences. It, it, it makes it cut and dry mm -hmm. when you have that directive in place. That's the right. Mm -hmm. 
I'm glad you touched on that. Yeah. And you have the, the uncomfortable conversations now yeah. while we're helping. So my yeah. sister knows what my wishes are, which would be different from my husband. My husband probably <laughs> will want me to live forever. But my sister knows this amount of time, you know, because people are different. They're emotionally vested in yeah, it in different ways. Yeah. But our mother yeah. loves her child different from the man loves his wife, different from the sister loves the sister. So I encourage everyone, regardless of what your health is, to have these healthy conversations with the mm -hmm. ones that you love. Because in the midst of it all, some people make situations about themselves. It's not about right. you. It is what the person that you are taking care of or the patient has requested and what works well for them. It is not about you. Now, with some of my father's stuff, this was before COVID. I'm on like his cars. I'm on his house. Mm -hmm. So in the event that something major would happen, I'm already on these pieces of property. It can slide over to me. The process would be easier in the midst of it all. When you lose someone or someone's sick, you don't have time to deal with the petty stuff. So that not should be that. You know what? Not just that. That's not when a person is grieving. Like, for example, we have patients that's COVID. When you have patients, when family members have to make those decisions, should I put my loved one on a, on a ventilator? That is a hard decision to make when you're grieving or when you're in distress. Like you're, you know, that's why I tell people make those decisions when you're healthy, because for a family to put your family in that position is just hard. Um, you know, cause they, you know, the job at the hospital, the goal is to treat, you know, they treat. So they're going to do whatever they can to treat you. But is it a quality of life for that person? Right. So those so are what did I ask you? You know stuff, Crystal. Sharice, do you have a... Crystal's a social worker and healthcare professional. Do you have questions mm -hmm. for her? Well, she already answered one question because I plan on calling the um, the rehab facility tomorrow because they have not given my dad any rehab. He got there late on Thursday night and the goal is to get him strong enough to go home so, okay, you got there late Thursday night. Okay, no rehab. Of course not. Okay, Friday, you may have to come up with a plan of care, but today is Monday. So, you know, I wanted to know who I need to speak to to find out why is it that he has not had any kind of rehab yet at this point. So she answered that by saying that to make the um, call and speak to the nurse. nurse the, the nursing, nursing not just that too. What you also want to ask is each facility have their own rules on how they treat COVID patients. If your dad right. is COVID positive, they may have a policy on how a COVID positive is rendered, a COVID positive patient is rendered therapy. And not right. just that, also, I'm not, I don't know your dad's case in particular, but mm -hmm. is he on oxygen? How is his breathing? Is he strong enough right. to get through? Right, exactly. That's my, that's my whole 2%. line of question. Two percent. Right. So their initial thing was we're going to take him to the facility so we can wean him off the oxygen. Then we can release him. That's why they didn't release him at home because that's another part. When you have someone that has COVID, 
and you're the only one that they have, or it's a whole family, only one person is designated to go in that space. So for, for fear of contracting COVID themselves. So we were hanging bags of food on the door, sliding stuff under the door, but he wasn't able to maintain that. Like once I actually got in the house, you could tell he ate a spoonful of everything that we bought. You know, so much food that he didn't eat in that house. Um, he had the right medicines, but because he's confused, he couldn't take the medicine. So his was because he couldn't successfully take care of himself to a satisfactory level. He, was, he did really, really well. He really does. But it was to the point where we, we were like, okay, let him go to the hospital because right. you get that round-the-clock um, care that we couldn't provide. So that's another conversation among family. Like, who is going into that space to care for that person? Um, do you see those type of situations? All the time, and not just that. I see where the entire family is in the hospital because mm -hmm. someone has gone in the room here. You know, because as a family member, we're going to care for you. We're not going to just see right. you go now. Right. So right. we get the right. entire family. We get husband and wife. Now they have to go to a facility. Um, and if they're on a high amount of oxygen, because on because nursing facilities, they like rehab centers. They're only allowed to. Maintain a patient a certain amount of oxygen if it go beyond, you know, a nasal cannula, which is the tubing that we normally see. Mm -hmm. We have to refer the patients to LTACs, which are long-term acute care hospitals. So, like, sometimes we have patients that, that is on a high-flow nasal cannula. A lot of nursing homes can't take care of that. Then we have to refer right. those patients to LTACs. So, we I mean, that he's do, do, I do a lot of that. We see them physically improving, but the environment of the facility is a problem. Like he's not as in high speed. You know, when he was in the hospital, he's nosy. Nurses coming in and out. He could see people. He was in a, a part of the action. He gets over to the, the, the therapy. It's boring. He doesn't know what's going on with his care or his health. So we felt that it knocked his spirit down. And then now you got all these people trying to help you. Well, we're sending this daddy and we're such and such is sending that he got sadder for lack of a better word because all these people I don't want to be a burden to all of these people people need to know in your friendships and in your relationships that it's kind of like marriage it's kind of like to death do us part for better for worse accept the help um, don't be ashamed when you have onset COVID symptoms, you need to reach out to people. What are they your friends for in the first place? And My those are conversations you continue to have with your dad. Like I tell family members all the time, um, you know, the patients, they're going to be confined to their room because they have COVID. They can't be out lingering with throughout the right. hospital. That doesn't work with him. He's a lingerer. Right. So this is where their FaceTimes come in where the constant calls from the families come in. I tell families all the time, call nonstop, keep their mind going because so it's okay to have a lot of calls. We didn't know if he needed to rest. I mean, you have to keep his mind going because if an idle mind is a dangerous mind. So if you're not constantly feeding him positive, you know, things, uh, I don't know if he's a Christian or, or if you read the Bible, like constantly pray with him because 
if he is just sitting there looking at the wall with no activity, depression will set in. He will. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah, he's no. a mover. He's a shaker. He would have a whole band in that hospital if they let him. <laughs> that's a part of that, you know, of being sick. You got to keep still. That's hurtful. Does that facility some... offer FaceTime video visits? Does the, faci yes. the facilities are in? Oh, so I don't know. That's a good question. So We've done it on our phone. Write that down, please. What? <laughs> write that down. Write down what? Does right. the facility right. offer FaceTime? Right. Right. All right. And well, I'm jumping back to Sharice for just one second. When you said that you're going to call the facility tomorrow and see who you have to talk to, uh, about mm -hmm. two minutes before I got on the show, Daddy told me that I'm on. I'm the only one that the facility yeah. will talk oh, to. Right. Yeah. So you can call mm -hmm. me, your big sister, okay. tomorrow. I'll <laughs> give you an update. But make sure I'm. I, you know, hey, I just wanted to make sure I told you that. Because they're yeah, only going to talk to yeah. one person. So they don't told the rest of the family, no, they're not talking to them. I yeah, didn't know. One person. One, I'm not one, person, one, person, one person, because it gets really confusing when you have the entire family calling. So we mm -hmm. always ask if you have one person in the family to call and let that mm -hmm. person speak to the rest of the family. So what That's I would fine. suggest is you guys, you I don't know how big your family is, mm -hmm. but I tell my families, one person call, you guys schedule a, a FaceTime Zoom meeting with the entire family and then give the family updates on when you talk to someone to keep the family updated. We kind of have that in the text we, part we, we've now. We've been doing really we, good with that. Every yeah. time we talk to him, one of us mm -hmm. texts the whole group mm -hmm. and let them know. what. But see, that's why I was waiting for Crystal because I, I had real live questions for you. You, you want to approach, I'm very serious about my father's health. I do not want to offend the healthcare professional in me trying to get information, but I hope that they are compassionate to understand enough that we need it. Like, why wouldn't they have called me? Is that protocol? Well, it, it is. Any change in condition, it is. Um, you're supposed to call if they're changing meds and things like that. Um, you're supposed to be getting calls from the doctors. I, you know, encourage the doctors at my facility to call. If a family call me and say, I haven't talked to the doctor today, I shoot a text to the doctor, please call this family to update them. Because it, it just gives you a sense of security of knowing what's going on. You know, being out of the loop is bad for the family because you can't be there. You know, bad right. enough to communicating virtually or on the phone. So that line of communication is important. And I try to preach that at work. Like that line of communication to the family and the patient is crucial is <laughs> about like this is about them so we can't leave them out of the process so yes my when my father was discharged from hospital one on northern parkway they he came from the back <laughs> of the hospital between the ambulances <laughs> behind the dumpster so i'm like hey dad did they really release you or are you escaping from the hospital no, he said, I made him show me his papers. So if he had discharged papers. But at one point, they would, you couldn't even leave the hospital with nothing wrong in a wheelchair. So I'm like, I don't know if he's telling the truth or not. So well, that's something he had else. COVID? He had COVID. Yep. He had COVID. This was recently. So three days later, we ended up with another hospital calling him again. Because he had everything that Tracy was talking about. He wasn't connecting the thoughts. His breathing had not improved. And his mobility, like, 
He sit 15 minutes on the bed, stand up, sit down again, then go to the bathroom, and you're in there for 15 more minutes, and you're talking about taking a shower. So if you can't get up off the edge of the bed, I don't know what's going to happen in that shower. So that just got vetoed. Like, no, we're not doing like, no. that. So that leaves well, me, me back you, to Crystal. Your dad got discharged from, he got discharged from the ER with COVID. So let me ask you a question. This probably helps somebody that's yes. tuning in. When you go to the ER and if it's an elderly patient, what were the instructions on the discharge summary? What did they tell you to do? Drink plenty of fluids. Um, he wasn't given any medication. Monitor your breathing. Sleep on your stomach. That's and prone. I don't know if I can remember the right. That's called a mm. prone position. So what pronin does, it helps you know, with your, the breathing on your lungs. So we always encourage any COVID patients to sleep on their stomach. It's called prone Good position. stuff. More good stuff. I'm so glad Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Crystal, you and I were right there. Yeah. Ask him about his primary care physician? On the discharge summary, did it say to follow up with the primary care physician? Oh, okay. See, we haven't gotten to that yet. Because he's he's in the in the he went back to the hospital. We knew something wasn't right. It's like they released you. You don't have anything, and right. you're not getting any better. And he has a pre-existing. So let me um, tell you about the hospital. Very right. limited bed. Very yeah. limited space. Yeah. So when you get a patient in an ED, they don't like to have ED border. erectile dysfunction. <laughs> what erectile is that? Department. <laughs> oh. Okay. In the emergency department. Okay. If you're not like the, if you got a COVID patient that come in and you're having no symptoms like that, you will discharge your home and hope that you follow up with the primary care doctor. And that primary care doctor monitor the symptoms. Because they need to keep them beds free for the patients that need to be on a ventilator or intubated. So, yes, sometimes when you do have a COVID patient that go to the ED and if there's symptoms, they have a checklist that they go by. In the, in the emergency department. And if you don't fall within that certain bracket, then yes, you do get discharged. So it's one of those things where I tell COVID people, patients, follow those instructions to a T on that discharge summary from the emergency okay. department. Because sometimes people don't. He was unable to do it by himself. Yeah. He really was. Just yeah. even to the fluid part. Like taking a sip of water was a job, you know? Yeah. So I knew he wasn't going to get two or three bottles in because he couldn't get past the sip. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like really, it came, came to the point. It's like what Chiquita was saying. That's the important part. So when you go to the ED or even any urgent care center, I always tell people, and I'm an OER nurse. I used to work in the ER. So that's the one thing I always tell patients. When you come to the ED, no matter what they said to you, you have got to follow up with your primary because understand the job of an emergency room physician. His only job is to determine is that what you're coming in for, is it killing you now or can it wait? That's how he makes mm -hmm. his decision. And if this so you're not die today or on Friday. Right. And if, <laughs> it, and if it's not killing you, because remember, an ER doctor don't specialize in anything. He don't know about dermatology. 
Remember, if you come into the ER and you got a broken bone, what is your ER doctor going to do? He's going to call an orthopedic doctor to come see you. If so, and so when, just like so, when the, even though the, the one hospital one let him go, soon as he came home, call his primary. Because remember, his primary care doctor, you have, even though he may not go to a clinic or he may not be in a hospital, he does have privileges at a hospital. So when you would have called the primary, the primary would have been on it. He would have been like, I want you to call me this time. I want you to let me know when he spiked the fever. I want to let I want to know when the changes occur. Because he will inter he can intervene and call hospital B and say, I got privileges there. So I need you to get your, your dad to the hospital where I have privileges. Because then oh, now oh. I can admit your father to the hospital. I don't need mm -hmm. the ER doctor to do that for me. Matter of fact, I'll call the ER doctor and let them know that you're on your way. Yeah. yeah does, the, does, the facility, yeah. does the facility... Does the facility... Does the therapy place know that his primary care... He's in a rehab now. Do they know who his primary care physician yes. is? Are they, they having a conversation? They're not having a conversation. Okay. No, so tell me how that works. Once he goes home, um, once they, they'll coordinate with their primary, because not only will your father, if he's still doing rehab and he, and if he didn't get enough rehab in the facility just due because of the restrictions of him going about through COVID, you got to remember, he now qualifies possibly for home health care. He can that's get rehab in the home. He can get nursing in the home. Exactly. And that's what we, yes. We want that, but that all goes along with this treatment plan in the therapy. If they can get that oxygen right, then he can go home. On that note, what are things that people should prepare for when they're receiving someone that is recovering from COVID? How do you take care of them? I think, well, well, <laughs> I mean, you're going to take care of them as well. What, what they, you're going to meet their needs. So, if your patient, if your family member um, is still not able to walk or they're limited, they still can't go to. So, of course, you're right. They're going to need some type of meal preparation there. Whether they get something delivered, where you find you might need meals on wheels, which it costs. That's not free. And it's not no. delicious. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not very delicious. <laughs> but <laughs> you, you're right. You don't need the needs of the, you know, your your family member or patient in the home or where they need. And you're right. And you are looking at the safety of their safety as well. So, is your father coming to a house in order for him to get to the bathroom? He got to go up and downstairs. All those things matter. Is there stairs in the home? Do now do we just need to get in? Right, just to get into the house. You're right. Are there stairs to get in? Do we now need an ambo to bring him home, or can we put him in a car because we don't have a ramp to get him in? Those are all. It, when so I look you at use an ambulance if it steps to bring him. Yeah, if he can't walk up the steps to get into the house. Mm -hmm. 
Y'all not going to be able to visit the man. When you call the facility tomorrow, make sure you ask to speak to whoever his rehab team is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't, I don't, I can't really speak on the facility that I only can speak right. on my experience because I have a lot of years of working in a nursing home as a social worker. <laughs> but now that I work on the hospital side. You definitely have to, um, actually I've been working as a social worker for 18 years. I don't even want to say that, but you definitely mm-hmm. have to ask this uh, hospital, re- I mean, the nursing home rehab team, who his therapist is, because you want to communicate to them the steps and what they to do in order to function at home. Because those are the goals that they have to put in place. Right, right. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Now, those are some of the things they're supposed to ask. I can't really speak to that facility, but I'm quite, if they're really skilled at what they do, I'm quite sure they asked your dad already how many steps is in your house. I'm quite sure they already asked that question already. He don't know. If they asked him, he don't even know. Okay, well, then that needs somebody in the family need to call up there and speak to the rehab team so they can know because you don't want time to go by and they say he's not making progress. But then you right. know, what goal did you put down for him? What, what did you put down for him? So they are anything five I miss steps. anything, Crystal. Go ahead, Sharif. I was just telling you why I have five steps from the door in the house and then 14 steps to the second floor. Now let me ask y'all a question. Is he on oxygen? Two percent. I think yeah. they say two percent. Two liters. Is is it two liters? Might be two liters. Two liters. Two liters. Okay. okay. What? He might have to come home with oxygen. The goal is for him to not have the he oxygen could. when he comes home. Is he walking? That's why with they it? sent him there. That's what they said. Is he walking with it? He needs it to walk. He gets. I'm quite we sure. We don't know because we can't see him. Okay. I'll yeah. ask him, but we can't call see him. He hasn't had any therapy what? yet. He hasn't had anything. Okay. Yeah. Right. Sometimes they have the you can't sit back and wait for them to call you. Because they get caught up or get busy, but definitely call, be proactive. Right, we had the wrong people calling. Yeah, just right. call and say, I need to know what's the plan to keep you I would just put them in my wife's facility, then my wife would take care of all of this for y'all. And she's on my right hand side telling me, Nina, that we will contact you tomorrow because she can help you with everything that you need to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I knew y'all wasn't there. I knew y'all, I knew he wasn't there because I was about to say, I know he ain't there. <laughs> No. But it was a matter of right. who was who had available like beds. It was a it was a matter of who had available beds. And the first place he chose, the reviews were so bad. We like, you cannot go there. I'm sorry. Now the place he's in, their reviews weren't great, but they were better than the one that he initially chose. Okay. That's surprising because you know the state is starting to roll out a no choice law. Where if a, if a case manager at a hospital finds a facility for your loved one to go to that's taking a COVID positive patient, you don't have you no choice. Go. That's where they're going. Right. So, I mean, I, 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 I like that. Like that. That. in the hospital world that allows them to choose. They're not allowed to choose no more. Mm. Not for COVID. I felt like that was a piece of that. He had to go in this selection. This is These are your right. choices. Mm-hmm. I do want to say, um, like now, today, I might have said, I haven't talked to such and such in a minute. I am learning through this process. If I haven't talked to them, I really need to check on them. Doesn't yeah. matter how old they are or who they are. If you have Facebook and social media, you see people. 
When you don't see a person, you don't hear from a person, it's time to go look for that person. And that's not wishing anything bad on them. It's just a lot going on. And we need to stay connected, even though it's hard to stay connected. Go look for somebody. I looked for two people that had COVID. I'm like, I haven't heard from this person. What you doing? They answer the phone. Hello. So you hear it right away. You can't breathe. You can't talk. What's going on? I don't feel good. What do you mean you don't feel good? I can't breathe or this. I feel like you should go to the hospital. I have been told on more than one occasion, I don't want to go to the hospital. So then it becomes the your responsibility, like responsibility, to convince your loved one to go to the hospital. Can anybody help me with that language when you're talking to a friend? How do you get them to go to the hospital? And do you just send the ambulance over there to kick the door? Go to the hospital. You know, you know what? I kind of talk to people, you know what? I just think of people of just basic needs. I talk to people based on basic needs, meaning that in order to convince them, I'll say, are you able to feed yourself? Are you able to prepare a meal for yourself? And they're like, no, I can't do that. Then it's like, then are you able to bathe? Are you able to clean yourself? When you can't meet your own basic needs, don't you think now you need to go to the hospital? Like your basic needs aren't being met. You're not even getting enough nutrition in you. Are you eating? Are you drinking? Sometimes I meet people there. And once they start to kind of see like, this partner be real hard over here. Then they tend to say, "You're right. It's, I do need to go get help." But, you assess their needs. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I, I kind of show them: Are you able to meet your own needs? Because just like you were saying about your dad, he was a person who, who definitely wanted to be independent. That was his thing. Mm-hmm. He needed to be independent. But once you start to show him that he no longer was independent, he's ready to go. And so now you want your independence back, right? You want to be, you right, you don't want your daughter taking care of you. Then this is what you need to do in order for that to happen then. Yeah. That's a great suggestion that goes with, with that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. You what? So, so look, this is what we're going to do because we've already gone over the limit, Nina. Okay. I will, I will I'm sorry. You, I will Thank def- you. I'm in love with y'all now. <laughs> I will. I will definitely um, have you and your sister in touch with not only these two young ladies, but my wife, because all of them can give you all kind of valuable information to help with your dad. But as as we were talking about this stuff throughout the night, the one thing that I kept saying is like, okay, Nina and Sharice, you guys are here for your father. You have people that are here for anybody that's dealing with the COVID situation, but who's here for Tracy and Crystal and all of these people that are dealing with, in some cases, tens and hundreds of patients a day for hours upon hours a day, sometimes in many cases, seven days a week. How can we be here for you guys to just make you just feel a little bit, not not even necessarily make you feel a little bit better, but 
to kind of like give you guys some stress relief to say, damn, I need a break. You know, can somebody just, you know, because I, I feel like you guys, and you hear it on TV sometime, you know, shout out to the, you know, salute to the, the front line. But are we really saluting you guys the way you that guys. we really I think for me, when I see people are doing what they're supposed to do, to wear their masks, to stay to stay away from being around a bunch of people, yeah. uh, just just following the rules. That yeah. makes me feel so much better because that's like one less person out of the house. I get right. so crazy when I see people still going to outings, still having a bunch of people at their house. Oh my God, that as a healthcare worker, that just drives me crazy to see. Um, you know, if to to make me feel good to know that people are doing what they got to do to stay safe. I'm just happy with that. Um, you know, I appreciate the shout out to the healthcare workers. I appreciate all of that. But to know people are doing what they got to do to stay safe. Um, when I see that reckless behavior, that's when I go crazy. And go yeah, because yeah. it's gotten to a point where that little shout out feels so cliche. It's just like, oh, <laughs> it's just, you know. I'm like, just wear a mask. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? What about you? Um, well, for me, uh, you know, it's always going to be um, not so much needing of recognition from other people as much as it is about me really learning how to provide self-care for myself. Mm -hmm. I think that's important for me. I think that um, that I, I, I steal these moments away because you're right. I work on a unit that has limited nurses. So you're right, I'm working quite a bit down in D.C. And it was something I voluntarily took on. So I I, I just do self-care, which is why you have so many cups. <laughs> so I love I all one down here. So I'm totally in the arts and crafts, so I'm always doing some type of craft and some type of something to just distract me that's from that, you know. And, and I but, think that's... And, I, and, not yeah. to touch, and I, I think that's where I was going with my question. Like, what is it that you you obviously do cups, yeah. but Crystal, what like what is it that you do after you've been dealing with this, you know, day in and day out? You got this long commute that you take. Like, what is it that you do to kind of like have a woosah moment? Man, so on my commute, I listen. Just, like, wake up and face this again the next day because it's not going anywhere. Listen, mm -hmm. I listen to the most ratchetest music I can listen to. <laughs> yeah, I be turning up in the car. You would think I'm in the club. Yep. You, know, I, you know, I try to like wind down like that. Then of course I get Facebook and cut up. You know, like I use that mm -hmm. as an outlet. And you know, I have somebody email like you on Facebook cutting up, but that's my way to like release some of the. I'm so like it's so depressing. My job is so depressing. So I try to mm -hmm. even at work. Like it's so funny, my nurse. When I'm not there, they miss me because I'm that person that comes to work with Lance and Beyonce on the unit and having to dance because it's so depressing. So like, it's like you gotta find some type of fulfill, yeah. like joy, like because if not, you'd be depressed all day. So I'm always yeah. you know, trying to miss yeah. people when happen, you know, cut up and things like that. So yeah, you know, just listen to music and just relaxing and you know, like self care. Yeah. That's that's very important, man. That's that's the one thing. As I was kind of sitting here, just listening to you guys talk about it, and of course having a wife that's in that same field, 
And I know like sometimes the first thing she does when she comes home is just go straight and get a glass of wine and just, you know, start to kind of you know, mellow down and just, you know, find different ways to just, and, and I can't like, I can't imagine the stress that, that you guys face on a daily basis. So I just, I just commend you guys for, you know, yeah. just like, like Crystal, I know, like I keep thinking about your commute and the fact yeah. that by the time you get home and then you got, you know, Got family and you got by the time you get in bed only time for you to wake back up because you got to take this long drive back down to deal with the same stuff over and over and over again and i know like me even though i do it i do it in the mental health field so i understand the importance of mental health and i see a lot and like i think you guys should like just be not only commended but like there should be therapists available or something for you guys to have that relief. You know what I'm saying? Because you guys are going through so much on a daily. It's, it's just yeah, you know, they of course, you know, our hospital offer the um, they offer the EA, you know, the employees program for the counseling and things like that. Um, they do offer weekly different things for the employees um, from a mental health standpoint to make sure mentally we're doing okay. Um, you know, they, they have offered like some people to do alternative schedules if it's too much. Um, so yeah, I mean, they, I think, you know, from a healthcare standpoint, my place of employment is, you know, there for us as far as mentally us getting what we need. Um, yeah, I think it's just part of the job. I think we, still, you know, our job is to take care of people and that's what we focus on. I don't think it's until we probably lay down at night and think about our day, like, oh my God. Like this is what we, you know, because we're so busy trying to help people, and it's not until we lay down when we realize, like, oh God, this is what I went through today. Um, well, for me, I don't think about it until I'm probably about to go to sleep. Like, oh my gosh, you know, I try not to carry it home. Some patients I do, some situations, because I be feeling so bad for the families, and it's just like, wow, you know. So yeah. Well, I commend y'all. <laughs> I don't know if I could do the job that you guys do. I don't, I don't know if I, could, if I could deal with that kind of stress during this time on a daily basis. So I definitely commend you guys. And Sharice, I commend you and, and Nina for just everything that you're doing, being there, you know, for your father. Um, I know y'all gonna take your dad. Like like Nina said earlier, if it was up to him, he would probably have like this peace band up in the and it's good yeah. and everything, but um, yeah, just salute to all of you guys and, and everything that you're doing. And um, I don't know if we're still going uphill with this or if we're like going downhill now. It, you, you never know what tomorrow is going to bring. So you know, I just pray that you guys can first of all continue to stay safe, most importantly, but just you know continue to find the strength to keep doing what you guys do every day. I really commend you guys, and I thank you guys for coming on. And sharing all this great information. I don't know where the heck my cold holds went. <laughs> Who knows at this point? But um, again, I, I really appreciate you guys. And if this continues to go into like another phase where three to six months down the line, you know, they're, they're, it's still going and, and we still don't see an end in sight, we may actually do a part two to this and bring you guys back if you're. You're willing to do yeah, so. yeah, uh, conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Yeah. Oh, and at that point, I heard it'll be Dr. Corbin, so. Hopefully. <laughs> yes, I want to work on my dissertation now. Absolutely, yes, and that's why I was, I was trying to get off of here because I know you said you had a paper to do, so I, I appreciate you taking some time to hang with us. Um, again, thank you guys so much. It's been so much information. And um, thank you. I, I'm not going to say that we scratched the surface, but there's so much more information that you guys oh, yeah. could have given. We could probably do this for another two or three hours. So we might actually do another another part two and invite you guys if you're available. I definitely appreciate you. But um, I just want to thank everybody that tuned in with us live on Facebook. Um, we're going to have the posting of this video and the audio available for you guys if you want to see it later on. Um, other than that, go Ravens. I love y'all. <laughs> they're winning or they're about to go up. But um, just enjoy your night and thanks, everybody. We appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Right. Bye bye. Bye.